This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Let's start with a serious one that was one of the real talking points of this week in this city, and it affects both of you. It affects me. Anyone who has worked in the media, and, and again, Scott, you have, Terry, you do, uh, I do. We know that the day of there was the big accident on the highway with the uh, fatality by the Aberdeen, by the um, near Aberdeen. And roughly the same time, there was a fatality up in Waterdown with a young girl who was hit by a car and tragically was killed. And this has spawned, and we know that as a result of that, there were a couple journalists who were arrested for, for it, it's, it's kind of unclear exactly mm-hmm. what the circumstance was at this point. But that's not what we're going to talk about. What we're going to talk about is that has spawned, their arrest has spawned a lot of discussion in public, in coffee shops, on social media about the media being at accidents, covering accidents, covering deaths, trying to have video or pictures of accident scenes, writing about this kind of thing. And a lot of the comments have been the media are ghouls, the media are bloodsuckers, the media are cold-hearted, the media... What do you say to that? Scott, I'll go, you've been doing this a lot longer, so I'll go to you first on this one. And you've probably done, honestly, more of these kind of stories than Terry has. What, when, when this comes up, do the people have a point? Um, to a degree. Yeah, I, I would say to a degree. I, and I certainly understand the feeling, uh, especially when uh, you're, you're there and victims of the accident or relatives of the victim um, are on the scene as well. And it's a highly charged emotional setting. There's no doubt about it. And it's hard for anybody to step back and just sort of rationally say, okay, why are we here? And and what do you answer to that when, when someone would ask you? Well, okay, let's take this, the accident that happened this week as an example. Um, there are a lot of questions to be asked when a 10-year-old girl is hit and killed by a car. Was traffic a factor? The fact that the 403 was over overfilled and people were scrambling everywhere, anywhere to try and get out of that logjam. Uh, were lights malfunctioning, perhaps? Was there perhaps a crossing guard that should have been there and wasn't? Uh, was the uh, you know, driver impaired? Were they, uh, was the car on sound? Did he have a medical emergency? All of those things are, are solid bits of information that the public you know, should know. It's, it's pertinent to them. And also, you're looking at things like, okay, if the, if the infrastructure isn't functioning, why isn't it functioning? And if the street is too busy, why is it too busy? And if the 403 is a bottleneck that nobody can get through and contributed to this accident, then why aren't we doing something about that? But all of those things, you'll never get answers to any of those questions or any of that information directly from the police. It comes from the media. And that's why they're there. They don't want to intrude on anyone's grief, and believe me, I've seen... See, because that you say that, and I believe that, and I think, Terry, you would believe that. that yeah. When I've, yeah. Gone, when I've gone to do, we call it in the media, a pickup sometimes, when you have to go knock on someone's door and get a picture of someone, of someone who's died. It is, it is the worst... The worst. None of us like it. ...of the business yeah. to do. It is the worst thing. But there are people, and a lot of them, and I'm, I'm not going dis- to dis- dispute the fact that these people are, who think that that is a... Thing that we enjoy doing. No. That they, there is a belief that this is great. Hey, it's ratings. Hey, it's sales. And people truly believe that. And I, I do understand that they believe that wholeheartedly. And anything that we say right here, they're going to say, well, you're just defending yourself. But no, I've, I've seen 
seasoned reporters uh, sobbing openly at, at accident scenes or after they hear difficult testimony in court or after talking to the families of, uh, of victims. Um, they're human. You know, they have emotions too. But their job is to put that aside and look objectively at what, what happened, why it happened, and how can we keep it from happening again? And that's what they're interested in doing. And Terry, there is the other part of it. I mean, what Scott said is absolutely true, but there is the other part. You have a young girl deceased now, and that is a neighborhood, an area tragedy. And whether or not someone is there taking a picture or not, the whole neighborhood, and then it'll sprinkle out the whole area, is going to know about this. It's not like it's going yeah. to be a secret if the media doesn't show up. Well, and and I think it's it's definitely a matter of public interest, Right. And as I have to agree with Scott that we're not getting that information from the police these days. So it's got to come from somewhere. And it's if it's not from our observations that we don't have a lot of options. Right. Yeah. And um, even, even that the police are not able or it's not their job to widely disseminate yeah. uh, that type of information. But you don't know as a journalist going into a situation like that. Is this an issue of public safety? Do right. people need to be warned that this is part of something bigger yeah, and right. you you can't figure that out until you start asking questions and there it, there's two though there's been two in waterdown in the last 3 weeks yeah. 2 weeks there's been two very different situations that the media has been there for a death you've got the musitano situation and i don't recall and i could be wrong i don't recall a single person that i heard either on social media or in person say the media was being ghouls for showing up for that one. Exactly. That one, everyone was saying, yes, tell us more about that. Give us any piece of information you can get. This one, of course, again, it's different. It's a young girl. It's an accident. It's not someone who is seen to have a questionable background. And a lot of people are very upset that the, peop- that the reporters are. A lot of people are saying, hey, these reporters deserve to be arrested. Because- now, I want to say one thing just before we carry on. Because I've talked to a couple of the people, media, who were up there. And one of the comments, and this is, again, not defending, just explaining. One of the comments that has been said a lot is these two reporters, these two journalists were trying, were right up there trying to get a picture of the young girl's face as she was lying on the ground dead. I want to be clear. She, the, that girl, the ambulance had taken her, they were way back, and this was not a question of taking a picture of a body or of a victim or something like that. Because that, if that had been the case... Even if it was the case, Scott, those pictures would never be used. That is true, but never I, could, I could almost, I could much more understand the commentary about them if that was the case. But you're absolutely right. If that, if there was a picture, nobody would use it. Absolutely, nobody not. would use it. I have one, just one thing to add, and that's, uh, I think that that commentary is also at odds with some of the numbers that we get from our website. When you look at the stories that are popular that people are clicking on, it is almost always. Stories about accidents, about crime. Absolutely. And journalists Always. take a lot of criticism for, for basically doing their jobs. But I have been at sites uh, where areas are taped off, the media is held at bay by police, and yet uh, ordinary citizens, passersby, people that I, I call tragedy trolls or, or tragedy tourists um, who come to the accident scene just to see what's up. They're allowed to go past the yellow tape, walk freely across the sidewalk or the street or all through the scene taking pictures unless they get really, really close to evidentiary uh, 
parts of the scene, but they are allowed much closer than journalists are. They've got their cell phones out. They're taking pictures. They're taking uh, videos. They're posting them on social media. But we're the trolls, the bad guys, for just trying to do our job. Well, and, and to Terry's point, if you do go to the spec.com, and I, I don't know about CHCH, I'm, and it, I'm not, I don't think it's the case on the CHML website. Uh, CHML is a new website, and I've got to be honest, I, I'll have to double check, but I don't think it's the case. But at the spec.com, on the right-hand side of the main page, there is a listing of the top five stories. Those are not the top five stories as chosen by the editors. Those are the top five clicked-on stories. Those are the most popular read stories by the readers at that time. And Terry is absolutely right. If you go on there any time, day or night, any day of the week, probably four out of the five are to do with death, crime, tragedy, something along those lines. And that's not the paper saying, here, read this. That is what people are looking to read. And Susan Claremont, columnist of The Spectator, someone called out the paper and the media for this. And she said, you know, you're upset about this young girl and rightly so but you wouldn't know about her or care about her if it wasn't for the media telling you That's right. that this existed, right? And That's so right. so it may sound like right now we're talking like three people who work in the business and we're being defensive, and maybe that's the case. And there are things... I can tell you that there were pictures that were taken at the accident on the 403, not of the body, but pictures that might have upset some people, and they were never presented for public view that, you know, you, they were taken and you look at them again when you get back to the office and you go, okay, that's, we're not going to do that. And the interchange between media and police has been well established over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these incidents. And it's gotten down to an informal protocol where the, ta- the tape comes out, the police lay it out, uh, the tacit agreement is we stay on this side, you guys are on that side. Uh, as long as we can uh, see what's going on and have access to some of the uh, uh, authorities that might be attending to this, most media people are quite content to stay behind that ta- tape and do their jobs. You know what's fascinating too about this, and we only have a couple minutes in this segment left, but I was thinking about this the other day as these comments were being said on social media especially. And I thought, you know, if you can look back to one of the most famous pictures ever taken and published, it was the photo from the Vietnam War of Napalm Girl the little naked Vietnamese girl running along the street. And that picture, in a lot of ways, you can make the argument, changed the course of the war. And yet I would say that today, if that picture was taken today in a similar circumstance, there is no place that that picture would run. So the idea that somehow it is a ghoulish thing, and that because look, that picture, if you put that picture on your website or on the front page of your paper... You would have a billion eyeballs. You would, for the people who say it's all about yeah. selling papers or getting clicks, you would do that. I can't think of a, I can't think of one place that would run that picture today. Am I wrong? Or can you think that somebody would? Yeah, I, I think that there might be some some outlets, um, Washington Post or, or New York Times, perhaps some of the major papers might. But you're right; an, an awful lot of regional and smaller papers wouldn't touch it, uh, just because uh, they're afraid of. Uh, you know, showing a, a naked little girl running down the road. Well, that's... Not, never that, mind the circumstance. See, that's yeah. that's part of the biggest thing yeah. is the fact that she was naked. You would... There would be people who would go berserk. And, and I understand why. Yeah. But if you ran that picture, you, th- there would be editors who would be 
police would probably be involved saying that that picture is is pornography, child pornography. Yeah. Even though that's not the intent of it, it's not a sexualized picture. It would, it would. There's nobody that would use that. And so when I look at these stories and say, "Yeah, we're reveling in the death of a ten-year-old," or the media is, I just, I, I, I don't see it. I, I don't. I yeah. tell you from experience, there is no scene harder to go to than a tragedy involving a child. There's nothing worse. Have you had to do one, Terry, in your uh, with the death with of a, a child, but with um, with a senior citizen actually who was killed in in Stony Creek? It was uh, not a hit and run, but she was run over by a car as she was trying to cross the road. And I, I'll tell you, I mean, I, as a journalist, it is it is absolutely the worst thing you have to do is go and talk to someone's family when they show up and they've just been notified, mm. and it, it's uh, none of us like it. No. We don't want to be there. We don't want to do that, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know the circumstances, all of them, for what happened with these two journalists. And what, I don't know what, what it was that led to the arrest. And that's not what we're talking about today. It's just a concept. It's the idea that I've heard so much of that we love to do this, that we love to go and be at these things. And we want to get the, somebody called it the money shot. And it's like. Uh, it's y- just not true. No. It, uh, my experience is that it isn't, and and Terry, yours is that it isn't, and Scott, I, yours is that it's not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, I can't think of how many times we just spiked tape or film that we had that we just said, no, that's too graphic. That's not going in the story. Period. You know, hundreds of times, literally. Did anybody t- now today? On and again, I'm, I'm running a little over time here, but did anyone today? I know I saw it on f- Facebook. I think there was closed circuit or somehow video of the accident, no, not an accident, the incident in Times Square yesterday with the car. Mm-hmm. Somebody threw that up onto the internet and it is... Graphic. It, it is graphic. It is horrendously disturbing because it's the whole thing. And you see this car just driving along like every other car and then inexplicably do a U-turn onto the sidewalk and just at full speed, just mowing people down. I... Did did any of you see that on any TV newscasts? I I didn't. No. It might have. It might have run on one, but I, I can't didn't see it. No. no, I didn't see it either. Because again, that that to me is another example. If you want to have clicks, if you want to just get people talking, well, sure, throw it up there and let's just. If you know, it's 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 horrible. It'll cause people some people well, nightmares. In the, in the first place, I found it was the New York Post rather than say the New York Times. Yeah. A little bit different. A little yeah. bit different. Mm. It is. Um, it, it is a really interesting one. Again, I, I, I know that there are people listening right now who are saying, "Well, yeah, okay." Three journalists who don't want to sound bad are defending what their industry does, <laughs> and I am not going to say that the industry is without flaws or without blemishes or warts. There are mistakes that are made. All I can say is that when I've heard this this week, saying the. That these that that the media just wants to get the shot of the dead girl, man. It just it bothers that you. It that bothers, bothers you. me because that is that part is far from the truth. There are other things you can criticize for, but I just my experience has never been that. My experience has been the opposite. And in fact, as I go here, we have I think tremendous photographers at the Spectator. And you know what? If the situation happened that they were at a scene and somehow the body was visible of not just this, of anything. I can tell you that the last thing they're going to do is just start snapping photos of a 
dead or seriously injured, they will find some other way to capture it where yeah. that is not the central yeah, focus absolutely. of the picture because two reasons. One, you don't want to do that. And two, no one's going to run it. Exactly. So what, there's no point in yeah. doing it unless it's JFK, you yeah. know, or, and there's a Pruder film or something. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Get back to Terry Pekoski and Scott Urquhart, the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this evening. Uh, reading today, yesterday, I don't know when it when I first saw it, um, Kathleen Wynne, not simply happy with an LRT running through Hamilton. She likes her trains, apparently. I don't know if as a child she had toy trains and became a fan. Or was I'm not denied sh- them. Or was denied them, that's right, and... and but now we have the billion-dollar LRT that is apparently going to be built, but that's not enough. We now want to have a $20, 21000000000 billion high-speed train from Toronto to Windsor, apparently. Uh, Terry, first thing, is there a gigantic pent-up demand for people in Toronto to get to Windsor in an hour? Like, are, are the people in Toronto, is this the number one topic saying, I just wish I could get to Windsor faster? Well, not, <laughs> that, I, not that I've heard of. However, um, I did, you know, a little bit of background reading today, and there does seem to be, you know, quite a bit of a need for trains to London, between Toronto and London, and, and that corridor, um, which would be the first stage of that project. And... This is tough for me because I'm a huge proponent of public transit and trains and buses and, you know, water buses, whatever. Um, I I like it. I, you know, I and, and maybe this is one of those you build it, they'll come type things. I mean, housing values being what they are in Toronto, I think it's inevitable that people are going to continue to get pushed further and further out of town. That would be, I mean, if you could have people now commuting from Windsor, that would definitely change the uh, the look of Southern Ontario. Well, from London, I heard it's, which is what, almost a four hour drive, three hour drive from Toronto? Total, to, well, from Toronto, it'd be at two and a half through hours traffic, probably. Through you know. Oh, through traffic through at traffic, seven. If you could get, <laughs> it, and I, I heard the train was going to be something like an hour. I mean, that's basically the same commuters driving in from Hamilton. So that's not much different actually from being just commuting on the TTC in Toronto from some places. Exactly. So it's that's not the I guess the and, and I would believe Scott that there would be pent up demand perhaps from people in Windsor to get to Toronto. I think there'd be a lot more action going that way necessarily than Toronto people going to Windsor. Mm-hmm. I guess my question though is do you really believe this? Like do you believe that this is a true plan that they want to implement or considering the avalanche of spending initiatives that we're already seeing with the minimum wage going up to $15 and the universal pharmacare for under 25 and all this, is this just Kathleen Wynne saying, we're playing with house money right now because we're probably not getting reelected. So let's just throw everything. We don't have $21 billion, do we, in this province to spend on that? Well, no, but, uh, you know, Government budgets are different than household budgets, for sure. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm going back to the first high-speed train was in France. The L, uh, It wasn't in Japan? No. Uh, the tran- TGV. In, okay. And the Tran Grand Vitesse in, in Paris. And that was God knows how long ago. And at that time, CN was talking about a high-speed rail link from 
you know, Toronto to Montreal. And to, when would that have been? How, how far oh, back? Gosh, that's got to be, got to be 35 years. Okay. 30, 35 years at least. Look up uh, TGV and see how old it is. Um, but yeah, I, and I've heard the proposal several times since that they're going to modernize that, that train corridor and bring on high-speed rail. Now, I actually think that's a great idea, and they should do it, especially, you know, definitely between London and Montreal. Um, the Windsor end of the province is a quieter end, but I think you're right. There, If it was built there, there would be a demand from people in Windsor to be able to get to Toronto without having to drive for four or five hours. 1980, by the way, so you're not far off. It was uh, That was when it started, and it was developed in the 1970s, LGV in, in France. Again, I just look at this and I start to think whether it's a good idea or not, the cynicism and the skepticism, and I don't think I'm alone in this one, of this is a government that seems to just be finding money that doesn't exist to come up with ideas that are going to appeal to the broadest, or they believe the broadest segment of the population. I just, I wonder if people actually believe this is real. That's, that's the next thing. Do, do people really think this is more than just, let's throw out another idea and let's see what happens. Let's see if it sticks. Well, it doesn't exist. The money doesn't exist. Um, but that's why the, the government now is talking about a potential public-private partnership to build this thing. And I don't think it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's a terrible idea. I don't. I think it is a, I think it is a suspicious idea, as I say, because of the public-private partnership, that's, that's great if you can find private money for 10 or $15 billion. Um, I suppose that, uh, uh, what do we call it uh, in Quebec, who always gets the... Um, Bombardier. Bombardier. Oh, yeah. Sure. So we can give Bombardier $30 billion so they can then contribute 10 back to the province. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. But I, I just look at this and I think it sounds like just another crazy, let's do anything we can to try and bump up our poll numbers for when the election comes. That that Because this sort of, did this not just come out of the blue? Yeah, but I, I don't think those two things need need to be mutually exclusive. Sure, it's going to help them in the election. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe. Um, but if they don't win, do you think there's a... Half of one percent chance this thing happens. I would hope so. I don't know. I, don't I think know. I think the idea. I mean, it, we're we're past the time where something like that should have been implemented. We're, we're far beyond the time when the, that line should have been upgraded, modernized. You know, and and we're still rolling with trains that are stock that's forty years old. So and crazy. all of that is true, but but we don't have any money. We're 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 billions every day going further. Well, maybe not every day. Every month, we're going another few billion into debt, just paying off the debt that we have. And I just, I, I look at this and I think if, and I've talked about this on the show before, if anybody but the liberals gets in in the next one, they're going to look at the books and say, yeah, not a chance. No. Not a chance. We've got to do something to get our spending under control. We don't have 11 billion for tax for a pharmacy and 21 billion for a train and billions here and billions there. I, I'm I'm still not convinced the LRT might not find its way into some trouble if the new party gets in and, and construction has not started in earnest. Well, part of the push behind this, I think, and uh, this is uh, a theory, a grand theory, um, but I think part of the push behind this and other major infrastructure projects that are just kind of being tossed out there is that we're headed into a decade of such giant gigantic technological chain, 
change and and so many job losses of traditional jobs that infrastructure projects provide employment and when you can see down the line that estimated 40% of the jobs that we do today are not going to exist in 15 years then you start to think well what are those people going to do so an infrastructure project is something that requires labor but okay fair point but those 40% of jobs that don't exist are 40% of people who aren't paying taxes then and infrastructure jobs require taxes. Oh, no, so where and, and yes, they get paid and they would then pay money back in. But where does the money again? It's it is a I look at this and I think I agree with you, Terry. I think it's a it's a terrific idea if it's feasible. I just don't know how you possibly look at this with our finances in this province and say we should even be talking about this right now because there's no way we could pay for it. But maybe it's a question of redistribution, right? So maybe if we create this sort of infrastructure, it saves us money from rebuilding roads or building new roads, you know, like... Which you can't maintain. Yeah, that you can't maintain. <laughs> um, maybe it's a question of just looking at where the money's going and finding a different or better use for it. That could be. That could be. I, I, again, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm the one sitting around the table who's very skeptical because with the, the amount of debt that we're hearing about in this province that we are, I can't remember the exact wording, what are we, the, the largest sub, what, sub, we're not a country, Sub-prime. sub-national, Ontario other, is ahead of California now, is the largest mm-hmm. non-country debtor state. And at some point, we're going to have to start paying that money back. And Terry, you again, you may be exactly right. If we can find other things not to spend money on, my concern, and once again, I reiterate this, it's a, something I've said before, is that the problem we have with government right now is politicians love building new stuff, but they don't like fixing the stuff that's already here. There's no sexiness and no ribbon cutting in fixing a pothole, but opening up a new community center you get your name on a brass plaque inside the door for all eternity that Councillor so-and-so or MPP so-and-so was behind this. They love building new flashy, shiny, bobbly toys, mm-hmm. but not putting new pipes underground or whatever else. And that stuff, everything you build, you eventually have to fix. Well, and I think that's the beauty of you know the LRT project is that you get all that ugly stuff maybe along with a, a, a shiny new train, so... Let, let's hope that that's, and again, I'm maybe, maybe it's Friday of a long weekend and I'm just being really you are, cynical you right now. You are just very <laughs> cynical tonight. But right? I'm, you're a downer. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I'm a downer. Maybe, maybe. I'm, I, I still hold to the, I still believe the LRT is going to cost a lot more than what they're letting on right now. And I don't know where that money's coming from. And I hope that it doesn't, to your point, I hope it doesn't become the infrastructure we have to cut back on. If anything, let's do that right with the money that we have. But I think, I think there's going to be a larger question down the road, though. The entire global economic system is going to change. And we talk about debt like it's, you know, oh, you got to pay your debt back. That is not sustainable anywhere on the planet. No country, no state, nothing has uh, a debt that it can sustain. We're all broke. And it's just a fantasy paper shuffle at the moment. So the entire world global economic system is going to have to undergo a fundamental change very soon. And if you start reading uh, stuff from the World Economic Forum and other sources, you can see that that thinking is already out there. So let's talk about debt maybe moot. Yeah, well, large large scale and small scale, I mean... 
to you see it in individuals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I'm broke. <laughs> How much money do I owe? I don't even want to think about it. It is. I mean, look, there are stories that we read all the time about Canadians are in more debt now than they've ever been before. But it's inevitable. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how. Especially for your generation. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I just don't know. You know, with wages stagnating the way that they are, and how you decreasing. do it differently. And living costs going up. If yeah. nothing else, if nothing else, even if you're not buying a lot of toys. Yeah. If you're having to pay for a house or insurance or gas or cars or electricity groceries or even. groceries, on and on and on. Um, and we're not going to talk about it right now. We don't have time. Is it inevitable? To some degree, I suspect, yes, although I do think also that we may have to start saying, do I need this or do I mm-hmm. need that? Because that's been the, I need to be, I, I want to have what my parents had mm-hmm. and at the so. end of their career when I get started. And then you know, we, we may have to take a new look at what is, you know, not everybody is a doctor. Not everybody is a rich, I mean, you know, and maybe that's just how we, it's a, it's a, not so much even an economic change. It's a mental. I think thing. it's already happening. I really I think do it think is. that's already happening. But boy, that's a topic for another day. We don't yeah. have <laughs> we don't have time for that one today. But it's 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 a great topic, and and we probably will because it's. I really think you're right. We don't have the money now that we thought we do, or that we feel like we should, or that we believe we deserve, mm-hmm. or spin that any other number of ways you want to say it, and that may have to change. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Here are two stories that I saw this week, and I got to tell you, I'm wondering if we're losing our minds or if I am just being way too cynical with this stuff. Story number one, it is ethically inappropriate for government and medical organizations to describe breastfeeding as natural because that enforces rigid notions about gender roles, says Pediatrics Magazine. So, saying breastfeeding is natural, don't do that. That is politically incorrect and inappropriate. Secondly, telling women not to drink when they are pregnant is sexist because the men can drink while they're pregnant. And I read these two and I'm thinking, okay, I understand about being sensitive, I understand about equality. Terry, I'll go to you on this one first. But it doesn't seem to me that when you're talking about things that are either damaging or naturally occurring, even though I won't use the word natural, should we be applying words like sexist to those things? Because even if a guy wanted to help out around the house by breastfeeding, he couldn't. It's not like there's a choice here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm wondering if people just got their wires crossed a little <laughs> on this one, because it seems to me, I mean, these are, this is a matter of information, you know. This isn't it's, a choice to be it's, offensive. It's well established that that breastfeeding is, you know, is better for a baby than bottle feeding it with and, formula. And there's only one gender that can do it. Technically, it, it, no, he, there's two. But <laughs> there for, is. All, for all realistic purposes, a guy can breastfeed. Yeah, technically, yes. I but, didn't know that. Yeah, but for Wait all intents and purposes, this Do- might Dr. Urquhart. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Urquhart, please. Uh, I, it was I, a startling revelation to me too. Believe me. Yes. Uh, how? Uh, well, apparently, we have similar glands uh, in our chest area, and uh, you know, given enough of them, 
uh, you might want to call them moobs or whatever, but you know, given enough of those glands, it is technically possible. Not likely, and not, <laughs> <laughs> but technically possible. The, let's say theoretically possible, yeah, exactly. perhaps. Yes, yeah. But I, I like here's the thing. Here's the part about this. I look at this and I go, okay, um, wires crossed. Maybe that's a good way to describe it. But when you w- when people throw out the term sexist with topics like this, to me, it diminishes legitimate, genuine, real issues of sexism where we want to solve those problems. We want to fix those things. We want to eliminate those things. When you start throwing out sexism for things like breastfeeding or for don't drink while you're pregnant, which again, I think, is that not a well-established thing that people are saying? It's not good for the child. It's a piece of information. It's not... It's yeah. It's I mean, it's not. But good. that to, it causes that, fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah. yeah. So that to me, it again, it diminishes the other things that we can get rid of in our society: inequalities and pay dif- distinctions and all these other things. Because it's the same word we use, and it, and it, I don't know. Maybe to me, maybe you, you guys feel different, but it just to me, it it diminishes the meaning or the impact of when we actually use the words. Then I, I think maybe it would be sexist if. We didn't give women a choice, right? If we said you absolutely, you have to breastfeed, we're forcing you to breastfeed, we're forcing you not to drink during your pregnancy, which I mean, I... I, Should we not do the second one, though? We don't really hear much about people. Like, I just think that's sort of an accepted norm at this point. I could be wrong. Um, So what we're not, we're not saying you don't have a choice, Women still have that choice, but hopefully they'll, you know, make make the correct choice. It, it, if it would be sexist, it would be if we said we're going to force you to do. We're this. banning bottles and formula. Yeah. Right. So so you, yeah. Okay. And I'll I'll grant you that for sure. If we said you can no longer take a bottle or a formula, so that a husband could not or a, or whoever a partner could not help in the middle of the night by getting the bottle and you can sleep. Mm-hmm. So you okay? I yes, you're absolutely right. But this is saying something different. This is saying that if a doctor says, given a choice between bottle feeding and breastfeeding, if you're undecided, science would say, or what we've learned would say, it's probably better. If, you, if you're undecided and you're really wanting us to give you advice, we think it's better that you would breastfeed. That's sexist. Yeah, I don't. I don't see or that. Maybe I misunderstand. I don't know. But I just don't, I don't see I that. I don't see it either from that. Uh, from yeah, that I, I guess to some extent... Uh, I, I can see the philosophical argument behind that particular case. Not that I necessarily agree, but I can see an argument of some sort there. But the f- alcohol thing is a completely different issue as far as I'm concerned because, let's face it, the guy is not carrying the baby. The alcohol goes through the mother to the baby, and it's f- scientific fact that too much of it is harmful to the baby. That's not sexist. That's just fact. Okay, so if you walked into a bar, and I think this has probably happened. I don't. I haven't experienced it. But if you walk into a bar and there is an, an obviously pregnant woman sitting there, and she is having a drink that is obviously not root beer, if she's pumping back a beer, or if she's taking shots or whatever, mm-hmm. and if. Terry, let's for the sake of argument, let's say that was you. I walked yeah. into the bar and you're pregnant and you're sitting there popping back booze. And I walked up and I said, stop that. Is that sexist? Because I'm sure that has happened where someone has called a woman on her behavior, either for smoking 
or for drinking or for something else. I'm sure that's happened where someone has told her whether related or just a passerby did not yeah. because of the health of the baby. Would that be sexist? I don't know if it's sexist, but I do think it's probably inappropriate. You'd have to have some guts to do it. I'll you tell would, you that. Yeah, yeah you would. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I get back to this issue of choice, right? It's it's not a good thing, but people do things all the time that are super damaging to themselves. <laughs> um and it, it's not really anyone's business, I, I don't think, um, unless you want to go down a different path where we're talking about, you know, I, I pay taxes towards our health care system and ultimately... Therefore, I want to use it. Or secondhand goes, smoke affects me, alcohol yeah, affects right? the baby. It's, it's not just you, that kind of argument. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could go down <laughs> that path. My intuition is you see something like that, I personally would would just stay out of it but but that's me yeah see i'm not the i'm not mr confrontation either i would probably i'm not gonna lie i probably would give stink eye (laughs) i'd be looking across the room like are you like with the look on my face hopefully that she gets the message of are you kidding uh and hopefully that her partner her male partner if he's there is not six foot eight and a bodybuilder who's on steroids who's going to punch my lights out but but here's again let me get back to the point though about this that i find in some ways troubling about these kind of stories when they come out. To me, this is kind of like when someone does something stupid. Bill Cosby, for example, from everything we've heard, and in the last week says, well, I think it's racism that's behind this, right? When you, when you, throw, it, when you throw out race as a defense, when there's no evidence whatsoever that race has a bearing on the thing you're talking about, I think it diminishes the actual cases of racism, when there truly is racism then, when every, if that's the defense, anything goes wrong, oh, it's because I'm this, this or that. No, there's lots of racism and lots of real cases that we should be taking very seriously. And when you diminish them by just using it flippantly, to me, it all just then sort of goes into this blur and we sort of lose the effect of it. Well, and here's an example. About six months ago or maybe a year ago, there was a similar situation where all these reports started hitting the news. I, I think some report came out where doctors or some study said women who are not taking birth control shouldn't, shouldn't drink on the off chance that they do end up pregnant. So if there's any feasible possibility that you could get pregnant, you should not have a drop of alcohol. Was that because they were going to drink and then lose control and sleep no, with someone? No, it was because they they were going to have a drink, but maybe they would be pregnant and not know. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And I didn't know if they were saying because women can't control themselves somehow if they... Okay, but continue. And I, I think for me, the sexism rang a bit more true in that one because a lot of this was Absolutely. coming from male doctors and male researchers. And uh, I, I think women were very much within their rights to say, I'm responsible for my own body and... Please don't tell me what to do with it. I don't need to be on birth control to make yeah, but that's, and good you're decisions. Right. But Terry, you're right, because that's kind of like saying, you know what? Don't ever cross a street because a car could exactly. come and hit you. Yeah. Right? That, that's such a... It's a, so paternalistic. It, but it's, and it's such a generalized statement that, yeah. yeah so that, uh, you're right. I, I, absolutely. That, that, is, that is completely fair. But this, again, uh, you know what? You get enough of these stories and suddenly the word sexism loses its meaning if you know do you ever when you were a kid or when you're maybe even now say a word over and over and over enough times and eventually 
in your own head. It doesn't even mean anything anymore. Have you ever done? Have you ever played that no game? Sense, yeah. Where, where you know, like Urquhart. And say that makes it, no sense no, to anyone anyway. So say yeah. it 25 times in a row, and suddenly it's just this weird it's noise. So weird, yeah. And it's kind of like when you throw out these phrases that we, we have these, racism, sexism, homophobia. All these things have, there are legitimate cases that we should be taking very seriously with mm-hmm. them. Well, to your point, uh, Scott, you were saying uh, in the Cosby case especially, tossing racism into the mix diminishes cases of actual racism. But not only that, it it diminishes and insults uh, women who have been sexually assaulted. It, it, you know, diminishes the cases on both ends, those who have been assaulted and those who are facing racism. Both of them are affected negatively by someone just throwing that out as some sort of defense. Well, it also makes the person who has made the allegation or the accusation now not a potential victim, they are the aggressor because they're racist. Mm-hmm. And with this one, a doctor who now tells a pregnant woman, don't drink, he's now not looking after the health of the mother or the baby. He is a sexist pig who doesn't want this woman to be able to enjoy herself while she's pregnant. Like it changes the conversation. Completely. It changes the conversation. And to me, it changes the motivation and the inspiration for what you're doing. I don't think there's any doctor alive who is telling a pregnant woman not to drink, who's doing it because he doesn't want this woman to Women have... shouldn't drink. Well, it's, it's no different than a, a doctor telling a, uh, an overweight man to stop, stop eating, eating fast cheeseburgers. Food. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But but you know what? Maybe that's size do we have, what's the word for sizest? Sizeism? <laughs> yeah, is that is that what the what Sizism. the word would be? Beats me. Um or an older person to go get a little more exercise instead of sitting around. Ageism. Or, ageism. ageism. I, mean, I know, but it, it's... Ageism. There are these words. Anyway, it, it just... It, as soon as I read these, I went, you do enough of these, and then the first time there is a truly egregious case of sexism, everyone goes, oh, really? Again? Again? Yeah. And it loses, and then you just... You don't even pay attention anymore, and you poo-poo it because I've heard enough of this. And I think we have had a lot of this with racism. And that doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist. It's just a lot of people start to hear, becomes part of the background noise as opposed to your hair on your neck stands up because, oh, there's a horrible case of racism. You now go, is this really? Or is this another person, you know, and, and with all these different things. And I, I, I don't know, I just... It started to me uh, in some sense, uh, the whole issue strikes me as the same sort of argument as how many angels can you fit on the head of a pin, right? Uh, Life on this planet is not a sociological, philosophical construct. It's much messier and basic and plain than that. And surely, you know, we can debate the philosophies of whether we're insulting somebody who doesn't identify as uh, gender, one gender or another. Philosophically, we can have that argument and understand how people might be affected by that. But it gets to a point where you can't, um, I don't want to say split hairs, but you can't reduce that argument anymore because it's going in a thousand different directions and there's nothing really left that in practical terms uh, makes sense. Well, you could theoretically, again, using the word theoretically, almost everything you say could offend somebody now. 
I mean, really, it could. If I say, you know what, I'm not going to give examples, but I mean, you could literally, if you had a large enough crowd, you could say something and somebody would be offended by that. Now, meanwhile, a lot of other people wouldn't be offended by it. So, but how do you, how do you possibly say anything? You almost have to become a Benedictine monk and take a vow of silence. And even then there may be people who are offended by the fact that you're mocking them because they can't speak or, I mean, who knows what the, you know, the reason would be, but it all, it's, it's very complicated. Yeah. It's very complicated now. I would never, ever until this week have thought that some doctor telling a woman, if you are interested and given a choice, science would suggest that breastfeeding is good for your child, that that was a sexist comment to the woman. Apparently, apparently, how much apparently, you know, right? yeah, well, <laughs> last time I tell someone that, uh, hey, you're breastfeeding, great, that's healthy. Oh, wait, sorry, oops, sorry, no, let me, let me back up. No, they bottle, oh, wait, no, I can't say that either. That's a... Uh, who knows? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. There is a string of old TV shows that are being redone now. It was announced earlier this week that American Idol is coming back after, what, one year or two years in hiatus? Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, a new version of Twin Peaks, which I don't really understand because I think Kyle MacLachlan is back in it, who was in it, and I can't. But there's new characters I don't really know. But Twin Peaks is back. A uh, Dynasty is coming back. Will and Grace is coming back. Um, SWAT, like a 1970s cop show, is coming back. Roseanne is being reformed. Scott Urquhart, where is our creativity? Like for for decades, television movies. We had new ideas and brought new things that people wanted to see. And now it's as if we've just thrown on the towel and said, oh, forget it. I give up. Let's just go back to the old stuff. Yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I, I don't get it. I don't think it's necessarily a lack of creativity. I think it may be more there's such intense financial pressure for every show to succeed that trying something new is just too risky. Uh, for a lot of producers and a lot of uh, networks these days. They want to go with something that maybe they can update, like SWAT. You can update to modern technology and modern techniques. Same with Dynasty. The uh, billionaires of today are somewhat different than the billionaires of the 70s. So you can take an old concept, reboot it with some new uh, you know, technology or information, whatever, and, and hopefully have another winner along the way. And I, I think it's more of a financial concern than anything else. You agree? Yeah, I, I would agree. I really do think that cable networks and, and movie stu- studios are freaking out these days. Yeah. I mean, when you've got a competition like Netflix, who which is now producing its own original and sort of amazing content in a lot of cases. Um, Except for the Adam Sandler stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. I wasn't going to bring that up. Everybody's going to have a, you know. <laughs> One throwaway. Yeah. Uh, I... I I think, yeah, probably they are afraid to take some risks because, I mean, you can only have so many flops before. You're not allowed to fail in Hollywood anymore. King Arthur, that new King Arthur movie just came out. I think it opened last weekend. It cost $175 million to make. it made back what? $14, I think, million in North America. Like, there are people at the studio, Scott, to your point, and Terry, to your point. I'm sure there's somebody or some people at the studios who, when they saw the returns coming in, is that what they call them? No, the, the receipts coming mm-hmm. in, returns of election. I saw the receipts coming in. They were pulling the bottle out of their desk, realizing they're probably being fired on Monday for okaying that thing and yeah. it being such a disaster. And there yeah. might have been a discussion in the boardroom about this thing is awful, 
but we put 170 million dollars into so it. So what do you, yeah, it, what like, do you do? What was it? Heaven's Gate back in the uh, Warren Beatty, yeah. Yeah, you know, like 200 million on Ash, that. Ashtar. Yeah, at, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Dustin yeah. Hoffman Ashtar, and yeah. Warren Beatty. Yeah. So I mean. No, the sorry, Heaven's Gate was Chris Christopherson, not yeah. Warren Beatty, the first one, yes. Uh, yeah, the, the, the debate is, okay, these are god-awful movies, but do we just can them and, and write off $170 million, or do, do we try and get something back from them? You but know? don't we see when something new and something creative and something well done comes out that it makes a lot more money? I mean, I suppose it's the rolling the dice. It's a higher risk, higher reward thing. But if you can come up with something that is fresh and new and interesting. I mean, look, I don't think we'd see, I'm just picking one out of the air. I don't think we'd seen anything like Breaking Bad, for example, before. Or Game of Thrones, which Game of made Thrones. a ton of money. And you're right. And all of a sudden, they are now massive franchises that you can make a fortune off of. So is it this? Is it just completely a lack of risk? That, that money that it costing to make these things is so much money that we just can't take that risk at all? I don't know if it's a com- completely, uh, uh, you know... Uh, economic, but I, I'm sure that plays a major role in in a lot of the decision making about what gets made and what doesn't these days. Well, and who buys ads where? I'm yeah. sure yeah. that's a huge thing too. So, I mean, if, if advertising was still gangbusters on American Idol when it when it stopped a couple seasons ago, why not see if you can get you yeah, know more of that again, money? Yeah. Right? Well, I'll tell you why American Idol stopped a couple of years ago because our family used to watch it occasionally, and I'll tell you. And this is so we were talking about political correctness and stuff last segment. They decided about two years before it went off the air that they were going to be the warmer, cuddlier, friendlier American Idol, and they weren't going to show the horrible contestants, and they were not going. And Simon Cowell wasn't there, and so you didn't have the honesty and the. That is why people watched America. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wanted to see the good singers no. win. They wanted to see William Hung come in and make a complete fool of himself by choice. No one put a gun to these people's heads and have Simon Cowell say, that was horrible. <laughs> and that was what made that show. And when you said, oh, no, no, we're going to make this. You Doesn't know. that speak uh, poorly of our own cultural sensitivities? Yes. You know, really. Yeah. Well, That's entertainment to us. Yeah, but it worked. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not denying that. It's it's kind of sad that that worked. I'm embarrassed to say it, but the greatest reality show ever made, seriously, the greatest one ever made was called Superstar USA, and it was was on the the WB back, I don't know how many years ago. Nobody has the WB. You can go online and watch clips of it on YouTube. It was basically American Idol, except the judges, anytime there was a good singer, they told them how horrible they were and got rid of them. And they tried to find the worst singer in America, not by telling them they're horrible, by building up their confidence, by finding horrible singers and telling them how great they were. And so they would sing louder and with more enthusiasm. And it was, honestly, it was like the most uncomfortable but hilarious thing you've ever <laughs> seen in your Luke life. It came out recently about the, uh, the uh, American society uh, maven who... Uh, who could not sing. Meryl Streep played the lead role in this. She couldn't sing a note, but her husband bought out concert halls uh, oh across North America and Europe so that she could perform uh, and often would have shows in their drawing rooms with selected guests who would applaud. Florence you know, Foster Jenkins. That's the one, w- yeah. Will tells me. That's on yeah. Will for getting that one. Good Thanks, job. Uh, first day, you're already earning your money. Good job. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? There's, uh, well, wasn't uh, Linda McCartney 
sort of known to not be able to carry a tune, but she was but in Paris Wings. Paris Hilton had a record mm-hmm. deal. She was great with the tambourine, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, again, I just, I look at some of this stuff and I just think it, money, I'm sure money has a lot to do with it, but it just seems as though, I don't know, e- even a lot of the movies, it's just like, how many Fast and Furious movies can we make? And again, it's a money maker, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's the same. And, and that's the other part, Scott, that I don't understand. And Terry... If you've seen 17 Fast and Furious films already, what are you getting by going to see the next one? Well, it's interesting you, you bring that like up. Like the audience surely is wanting something new, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but it's interesting you bring that up because uh, my son, who was in his early 20s, saw you know one, the first one and, and loved it. But he is completely bewildered by the latest iteration of this. <laughs> he said, it started out just about fast cars and racing. And now it's guns and bombs and people saving the way. It's like it's gone way off the rails. Like he... He can't understand how it got there at all. But just that, okay, we need a new twist. We need a new twist. And the end product is unrecognizable from where it began. There was, uh, well, you're all, I mean, Terry is by far the youngest in the room, but you are still old enough, I'm sure, (laughs) to remember that back in the mid to late 80s when NBC had their Thursday nights, must-see TV, and it was... It was, uh, what was on there first? Family Ties and Cheers. And then it was Seinfeld was on there and Frasier was on there. And and that night, it, that became, but they were all great shows that were different. They mm-hmm. were, and now they spawned, well, exactly what we're talking about. They spawned all kinds of imitators, yeah. but they were all, but there was creativity. And what happened? That became the night on television. Everyone... All the other channels knew, don't put anything on Thursday night because you're going to get killed. We can't compete with this because these are new, original, fresh ideas we haven't seen before. So well, it works. Frasier was a spinoff of Cheers, though, right? It was. Yeah. But Frasier came after Cheers went off. But still, Frasier, if you look at, and we're talking about spinoffs today in the quiz question, Frasier was very different from what Cheers was. Oh, absolutely. It was a character, yeah. but absolutely. it wasn't just the same thing. It was, yeah. these were well done, creative, different, unique shows that proved that if you can do something creative, it will work or can work or can has work, a yeah. good chance to work. I don't know. I, I just. But it's the risk. I mean, no one. Uh, and it's not just in the film industry. I think a lot of industries uh, have serious risk aversion these days. And uh, they don't want to innovate. They don't want to try anything different. Uh, companies are sitting in billions of dollars of cash that, that you know, we've been saying, Spend it. Get out there. Stimulate the economy. And they won't. They don't because of risk aversion. Well, as we go to break here, uh, how many years ago was it that somebody decided, and I don't know who it was, that they were going to take all the songs from ABBA and turn it into Mamma Mia, which was originally the stage show. And I don't know if that was just before or just after The Lion King, but they came out around the same time. Well, now, look, every... That's now your, let's just do that. And so we had one with Billy Joel, where it was all the Billy Joel songs. And now I just saw in Toronto yesterday or the day before, there's a meatloaf, yeah. Bat Out yeah. of Hell show yeah. that's coming. So now this is the new non-creative creative. If you've got a good album or a good singer, just make a make a show, make a just play, play their songs. Play their songs. We don't have to write any new music. doesn't matter if the show makes any sense, if the storyline works or not. So doesn't have a solid yeah. financial backbone to begin with. We're good. Yeah. You know what? We know that Bad Out of Hell has sold 400 million albums or whatever, so people will will go see that one. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it's fourth, sci- fourth highest selling album of all time. Behind Thriller, 
thrillers uh, there. And uh, I'm guessing the best of the Eagles because I know nope, that's nope, no, that's nope, not but, one of the but ones. But for the life of me, I can't remember the other two in between. But yeah, fourth best-selling album of all time. So. I just hope Celine Dion is not number two or three spot. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Story that was out this week that I think is one of the most, um, I'm trying to think of what the word would be. This guy takes a girl out for a date, first date. They're on a first date, somewhere in the States. And they have dinner and then they went for pizza, $4 for dinner for pizza. He was a big spender. And then they went to a movie, and I guess he wasn't quite the charmer that he she he thought he was, or there wasn't the connection or whatever. Anyway, uh, she was texting during the movie with someone else. He didn't like the fact that she was texting, and so he has now filed a lawsuit demanding repayment of $17 for the movie and popcorn plus $4 for the pizza that he paid for her. It's a seventeen. It's a total of seventeen dollars and something cents lawsuit for for a bad first date. Um, you know, I probably could file a whole lot of lawsuits <laughs> or have a whole on, bunch filed or, against me. Yeah. yeah well, um, yeah. I. Uh, you know, we've heard of frivolous lawsuits before. This one is right near the top. Is a bad is a bad date not an inherent risk of our society? It's one of those things you just accept the risk that this thing could go horribly awry and so be it. And more and more and more now that people meet each other online digitally mm-hmm. and you don't really know what you're getting going into it. I suspect she just wasn't interested. Of course. And his behavior is super creepy. <laughs> And he should be called out for that. I mean, it's it's almost abusive to it's almost like stalker type behavior. Don't this woman tweet. doesn't want anything to do with you. She just it, it was a date that went wrong. Don't tweet. Pay attention to me. Leave Dude, her alone. Dude, she's just not that into you. Yeah, yeah. and and it it is. I I think it's borderline abusive. His reaction. I find it weird that he would take her to a movie and then be upset that she wasn't paying attention to him. Because who pays attention to your date when you're sitting in a movie looking at the screen? Like exactly. that's the one place you go when you don't want to have to. Maybe he was hoping for some action in the back row. I don't know. Well, I think that he, four I, dollar pizza. Could be. <laughs> I think the underlying thing is that he, he thought he was owed something, yeah. right? Yeah. He he yeah. had expectations. I'm going to pay for a movie. I'm going to pay for pizza. And well, I kind expect of to get something in return. I'm going to get attention of some sort. Some what sort. kind of attention yeah. can you expect for a $17 outlay? <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, that's not exactly creating a big financial uh, down payment on whatever it was you thought you might be getting. That's but Terry, um, you've got a point there about expectations. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm sure you must have gone through something like that in your your time. For oh, sure. it's you know what? It's I'm a bit torn on this one because I've been reading about it, and at, at a glance, I mean, you read it and you're you're just like, this is so ridiculous. You you kind of have to laugh at it. But I think when you start unpeeling the layers a little, you start to see these things, and you go through. You know, he he's been tweeting nonstop since this happened. You start to go through his tweets, and it becomes clear that yeah, there there was this expectation there, and. And he's just really upset and he's, there's this undertone of, you know, women can get away with anything now and they just expect us to pay for everything. Terry, he did take her to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in 3D. 
Surely the 3D part <laughs> earns him something, doesn't it? You've got a point, Scott. <laughs> I mean, that's another one. If you're taking a, uh, now I'm, you know, it's been a long time since I've had a first date. A long time since I've had a first date. But I got to think, if I go back into the memory bank, if I'm taking a girl out for a first date and I'm thinking there's a chance of us having some sort of, you know, love connection thing going on, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is probably not my choice. There's got to be some other movie out there that's a little more romantic, I would think. Maybe maybe maybe. he was going for the humor quotient. Who knows, you know? $17.31, $17.31, by the way, is the, uh, is the value of the lawsuit. <laughs> I wonder how much it cost him to file. Well, I was going to say, what are the court costs, you know? Yeah, $7,000. Yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's one of the, uh, uh, and the, the, again, like he and she, she posted a bunch of the texts that they sent back and forth after. And basically, um, he asked her for a full refund first before filing a suit. So he did give her fair opportunity to avoid court. What is wrong with people? <laughs> hey, he pays your money, he takes your chances, right? Yes. Yeah. I, um, but again, that, 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 see, that to me is, is, and I don't think that this is any kind of indication of anything social change. I, this is just a nutty situation. But yeah, like first dates, what percentage would you say of first dates work out? Less than 50%, right? Oh, yeah. Way less than yeah. 50%. Especially today. Yeah, way Especially less than 50%. Especially today in the age of Tinder dates and... And so for $17 as a down payment to see if this is going to work, I think that's a pretty, you know, low cost. Okay, didn't work. It's the chance you take. That's two Frappuccinos. Some places. Two unicorn Frappuccinos, anyway. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, you know, you're not spending... It's not like he... Would this... Now, we wouldn't... I know we wouldn't think of this any different, but if he had dropped... A thousand bucks at the fanciest restaurant in town and bought a bottle of some sort of 1952 whatever. Shadow whatever, yeah. You know, maybe you would expect her to not be tweeted, at least not to be texting or tweeting at that point because you say, okay, let's at least, you know. what's the difference between $17 and $1,000? I I don't know. If the expectations are there. I'm not saying expectations as far as I'm expecting her to give him something in return for this, except that maybe if you are going to the fanciest place in town, you tuck your phone away and you're not But if you're not into him, you're not into him. So is is it different with your phone out in the movie theater than it is in a restaurant? I I I agree. You you agree with that? I I don't, I... I think you place. I don't think when you make arrangements to meet someone over Tinder, whether it's for a thousand dollar dinner or a ten dollar movie, um, that that you can, you know, expect someone to to give you their undivided attention. I mean, that again, when you're meeting up with a total stranger, some people are just not nice. And, uh, no, and I yeah, grant you, right? maybe, maybe he isn't, but I'm thinking if I'm you're... I'm thinking more about her. You know, some no, people are just rude. No, maybe he's not nice. Right? I know, I know. Some but people I, are, maybe she's just rude. It just seems to me that That's if you're going out to want like a fancy, fancy, super nice restaurant and, and he is then at least showing, I'm making the effort here to do, then you could tuck your phone away for an hour, right? It's different. I, I really believe it's different in a movie theater. It just, it's, it's the same as if you were in the, if you were at the opera, you wouldn't necessarily pull out your phone. There's there's places in society where it would be mannerly 
even though we don't really push on manners these days, it'd be mannerly to tuck your phone away for the hour I think or so. Think a movie theater is the perfect example, though. Who pulls their phone out Her. in a yeah. movie theater? <laughs> yeah. Well, lots of people. Actually, I think I, I, I watched. That's, like, that's a major phone. Um, yeah, I mean the the cinema chains put up little. You know, don't pull your phone out, Tommy Dexter. <laughs> they put that up before every movie. <laughs> I find this thing so far. I, I'm um, I'm not holding out a lot of hope that he's going to win this lawsuit, Ugh. and I'm not holding out a lot of hope he's getting another first date with anybody. Yeah, ever, <laughs> ever again. Yeah, he better change his name and move from Texas to a different state because right now I think his chances of uh, finding himself a uh, a love of his life are um, slim. Are quite slim. Amarillo yeah. slim. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.